Let us pray. God, we thank you for this day, to this opportunity once again to gather as your community of faith and worship you. And Lord, as we continue this Lenten journey with Jesus to the cross, may you help us to fix our eyes and hearts and minds on you. Speak, Lord, teach us, Lord, what we need to hear, to know, and to experience this day and each day. May my words be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing kind of our journey through the Lord's Prayer in this second part of the Lord's Prayer. As I said last week, if you were here, the Lord's Prayer really is truly a gift. It's a cover-all prayer. That's part of the reason Jesus gave it to us. It covers all of the things, all of the pieces, all the aspect of life that we need. And it's something that should be familiar but routine, should not be mundane, but can be powerful and transformative if we allow it to. And that's the gift of the Lord's Prayer. This week, I'll be honest, these, this line, these two lines, this part of the Lord's Prayer, are some of my favorite parts of the Lord's Prayer. It's beautiful and powerful. I get very excited about it. Sometimes even as I'm praying it, I'll get a little bit of a chill as I think about it. Such a gift it is, this prayer. And, you know, it's such an amazing passage. I'm so passionate about it. I could probably preach for 45 minutes on this one verse alone. But don't worry. I promise I won't. Because it is so rich. It is so powerful. It is so transformative. You heard me read it in the two translations. And part of the reason I love this particular part of the Lord's Prayer is that word kingdom. As one of my friends pointed out, I like to talk about that a lot. It's something for me that is very, very important, very central. It's a critical piece of the puzzle. It, I think it's something perhaps that we've lost sight of that maybe we don't even really understand. And I'm in good company. It is the most common topic in all of Christian literature throughout history. It was Jesus' number one topic. And so it's certainly worth our attention. This is why it ends up second in the Lord's Prayer, only to identifying with the Father, which Jesus always did first. And so I want to look at this in two parts. The two parts are pretty obvious. Firstly, thy kingdom come or your kingdom come. It's interesting to pray this because the kingdom of God comes regardless of whether or not we pray this. In fact, the kingdom of God has already come. That's Jesus. I'll get into that in a moment. But as Luther points out, part of the reason we pray this is not just to be reminded, but that we might experience the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God, as Luther says, might come to us. So what is this business about the kingdom? We, we pray it to be a part of it. We pray it to see it. But really, I love what Max Lucado says about this. By praying this part of the Lord's Prayer, we are inviting Jesus into our world. Not just the whole world, but our world as well. But I add to that, better yet, especially in this second part, we are asking Jesus not only into that world, but we're asking Jesus to take over. Now, that seems to make sense. That seems like a good idea, right? to invite Jesus to take over. If we can trust anyone to be in charge of the world and in our lives, most certainly it should be Jesus. 
But oftentimes that doesn't turn out exactly as we would expect or we would hope. And so this prayer is really much more bold than we realize. You see, the kingdom of God is simply the rule of God, the reign of God, God's dream for the world. The most often uttered phrase when people try to describe the kingdom, these people that are much, much smarter than I could ever be, they, they use this phrase, already but not yet. It's confusing. But what they mean is, the kingdom of God has already come because Jesus came to the earth. But the kingdom has not yet fully come because Jesus has not yet returned. And so we're in this in between where God is with us, where we pray God's kingdom to come, where we can be a part of that, where that can progress, not because of us, because it's only because of God, but that we can partner with God in the bringing about of the kingdom in the world. That sometimes as Christians, we sit and we bemoan what is happening as if the world is ending. And I have to laugh because people say to me, oh, this is the worst it's ever been. And I'm going, somebody said that to me 10 years ago. Somebody said that to me a week ago. Right? And we bemoan that and, and say, oh, I hope Jesus comes back tomorrow because, you know, the worst thing is happening to me. What? I'm paying more taxes than I've ever paid. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, then Jesus needs to come back. You know, I mean, I mean we forget that, that we can be a part of and invite God to come more now, that we don't have to sit in pain and turmoil waiting for things to get better, that we can embrace what already is good, we can embrace where God already is, and we can be a part of making things better, that we can be a part of the kingdom God's rule has already come in Jesus. That's the gospel message. That's the gift. But Jesus offers this prayer not because maybe the disciples would forget that, but maybe, but so that the disciples, so that we, so that each of you, so that I could partner in the bringing about of God's dream, of God's rule, of God's reign in the world. That's why I love this phrase, kingdom because it allows me to interact with God in the world. It invites me to do that. I love this phrase, kingdom, because it tells me that things aren't finished yet, that there's more in store. I love this phrase, kingdom, because it reminds me who's in charge. Sometimes I forget, and so if Jessica doesn't remind me, I certainly need Jesus to remind me. God's kingdom comes. And this kingdom concept is one of trust, right? Because God's kingdom never seems to come in the way I want it to. And certainly, if it does, never in the timing I want it to. God and I have had a lifelong disagreement on timing. I don't know. Somebody says I'm impatient. I don't understand. But we participate in the kingdom when we pray for it. But we also pray for it to come. And I love it. Because God didn't just set the world in motion, send Jesus to come, to show us to live, to die on the cross for our sins so that we would have a nice story and then says, see you later. That's not how it works. That God is with us. That God is interacting with us. That we get to be participants in God's world, that we get to partner with the God of the universe. 
For me, that's oftentimes a reason for getting out of bed in the morning. It's a reason for saying and doing a lot of things. It's the thing that sustains me in the mundane and the terrible, whatever terrible might be. The second part, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven is also a bold prayer. It's deeply connected to the first. It really can't exist without the first because God's will is the kingdom. And so, really, we couldn't just skip over it, and this is key. And, of course, what I love what N.T. Wright says about God's kingdom. And, again, this is one of those things that I, I have a hard time wrapping my tiny little brain around. That, that God's kingdom is in the past, the present, and the future all at the same time. That God's kingdom came in Jesus, it continues to come, and in the future, it will come to fruition. Whether that's in five minutes or 5,000 years, it's going to come. And instead of holding on, hoping that that happens in our lifetime. And by the way, I'm not so sure I want that to happen in my lifetime. I don't think that's going to be as pretty and as fun as we all like to think it is. But nonetheless, in the meantime, we get to live in the kingdom. We get to be a part of the kingdom. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That, As Luther points out, we are seeking God's good and gracious will. Through the Spirit. It's only through the Spirit. We can't do any of this. It's through trusting the Spirit that these things happen. Now the word will here in the Greek means strong desire. God's strong desire. Come to earth as it is in heaven. Again, this is not geographical. God's strong desire. We all have strong desires, right? Sometimes several at one moment even oftentimes competing, whether they're rooted in our opinion, our fears, our insecurity, our wants. We all have these strong desires, whether out of passion or personality. But to invite God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're saying, God, give me your desire. May it be your desire. Now, in the back of my head when I pray that I'm saying, and I really hope God, that your desire lines up with mine. I don't say it out loud, right? But I'm thinking it. Sometimes I'm, I'm even going, well, it should, right? Because I know God and I, I understand a little bit. But it's praying for God's strong desire. It means seeking the heart of God. It goes back to that relationship I talked about last week, that we are children of the Heavenly Father. That when we pray this prayer, we say, God, may this world, may you be in this world, may this world be as you desire to be, and God, may my heart be a heart that's after yours. Make my heart like your heart, O oh God. What a gift. But it's a bold prayer if we think about it. We have access to eternal life. And you know, God's will is revealed to us in a community of believers. It's not just me. It can't be just me. That scares me. I know me. Not a good idea. It's meant to be revealed in a community of believers. That's why we need each other. Just to make sure it's not the fact that you had like a piece of pizza too late last night. 
or that maybe you're scared of something, or maybe you really want something to happen. It's meant to come out in a community of believers. But here's the other requirement. Even though we can hear it individually, we, we discern it in a community of believers. But the third and perhaps the most important requirement when seeking God's will is it must meet the test of Scripture. I'll never forget in my last church, I started there in the middle of their departure from a certain tradition. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget the part of that process where uh, the bishop came to enlighten us. And, uh, and I, I was feeling kind of strong and, you know, feeling like a little, little bold and I'm the new guy and, you know, hey, I'm going to go for it. This guy doesn't know me. And so I remember him talking about this new revelation that God has continued to reveal himself. I'm like, all right, so far so good. God continues to reveal himself. Good. And then he, and, and then he kind of went on and talked about it some more. And, and then we had question and answer. And I like questions. And so I went up to the microphone and I said, you know, Bishop, great stuff. I, I agree. God continues to reveal himself. The Holy Spirit continues to reveal himself. I said, but... Is there some sort of test to that? I said, because I know myself. And, you know, if God continues to reveal his will to me and it's just about me, then slowly but surely I put myself on the same plane as God. And that's scary stuff. I said, so here's my question for you. It seems to me there needs to be a measuring stick, a test. I said, so, Mr. Lutheran Bishop, this is important, can this new revelation ever be contrary to Scripture? And I'm feeling real good. I'm like, ha, you know, Lutheran, sola scriptura. We love the Scripture. I got it. Look at me. I'm impressing my new boss and my new counsel, and here I am. And he just looked up at me, and I, I still can imagine this moment as if it were happening right in front of me. He said, absolutely. See, there's a problem with that. It has to stand the test of Scripture. That's not a commentary on traditions or denominations. This is a commentary on Scripture. Because if it's just about me discerning God's will, very quickly or very slowly, there is no distinction between God's will and my will. Which is fine for me, but not so much for the rest of the world. Because the truth is, I'm imperfect. The truth is, I'm a sinner. The truth is... I'm selfish. And so this prayer tries to strip that away, tries to remind us that, that this discernment, the seeking of God's will cannot just be about us. It is a community effort. It stands something that must stand against Scripture. But it's a reminder that we have access to the abundant life. This part of the Lord's Prayer is a commitment to honor God and honor God's name, but also to seek God's kingdom, to accept God's kingdom and accept God's will. To be frank, the Lord's Prayer could stop here. That's enough, right? God, you're in heaven. Your kingdom and your will make that my priority. That's enough to fill all the days of my life. This is an important petition. It's, again, this invitation for God to be in charge of your world, which is great. It is the most life-giving, abundant thing. But it's not always easy. It doesn't always match up to our plans. You see, this prayer is so bold. We love God to be in charge, right? As long as God doesn't disagree with us or give somebody else something they don't deserve. But it's okay when God gives up, doesn't give us what we deserve, right? I mean, if we're honest, we go through that. 
But this is to invite God's desire. It's not about the past, the present, or the future. It's about who God is. That's the beauty of this statement. It's not about governments or policies or churches. It's about God. And while we do this corporately together, this is a deeply personal prayer. Because just as we say, God's kingdom come in the world, God's kingdom come at St. Mark's, God's kingdom come in my home, we also say, God's kingdom come in my life. We don't understand kings and kingdoms, right? It's not something we're used to. None of you were at the tea party. But if anyone can be our king... Is it not the God of the universe? I'm okay with a king if it's God. And that's the beauty of this prayer. It's about us. It's about our church. It's about our community. It's about the world. This one little sentence, this one little verse is a profound statement of submission to God. We've lost sight of submission in our culture. We're afraid of submission. After all, people aren't trustworthy. They might abuse their power, and I have rights, and I have desires, and we're afraid of submission, which is unfortunate because while there's some wisdom to being careful to whom we submit to in this world, we often translate this in our inability to submit to God. But that's what this prayer is. It's not just some lofty ideal or dream or hope. And I'll tell you right now, we pray this every week. But if you pray it and you really mean it, it takes on a different meaning. And I can tell you from standing up here, from praying it myself, there are some times where I blow by it. And there are some times where I'm focused enough that I stop and I recognize. And there's a distinct difference in what happens in my heart. You see, this is a bold prayer. It is a brave prayer. It is a beautiful prayer. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The beauty of this is that we can invite the God of the universe to be in charge of everything. And the great news is, if God is in charge, we don't have to be. And when we feel like we just get to partner with God instead of being in charge of everything, we find freedom. We learn to trust the Holy Spirit. And that abundant life that Jesus talked about in the book of John becomes more of a reality for us. What a gift. Not just this prayer that we say every day. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word for this prayer that Jesus gave us. And Lord, I pray that truly your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us surrender ourselves to you, to embrace you, to partner with you as you take charge of our lives, of our church, of our community and our families and of the world. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.